Hello and welcome to the Smoke and Burn podcast. I'm Casey Gressit and I'm joined today by one of my favorite members of the BG family, somebody I've worked really closely with over the past few years here, uh, Steve Tingle. Hi. So Steve is the distributor for uh, northern Minnesota and part of Wisconsin, but he's been a, a, a BG family member for a long time. Yeah. 20, 21 years. 21 years. What did you do before? Uh, I sold industrial chemicals before. I, I sold to... Uh, it's funny because I used to have Wednesdays or dealership days, and those were the days that I would call on my car dealers. And back then in the, the chemical days, I hated Wednesdays. <laughs> and now I've been calling on car dealers for 21 years. And I love it, but... I just didn't know how to approach car dealers back then. But yeah, I sold floor cleaners and degreasers and pressure washers and all that kind of stuff. For, so like, what was your other customers then? Was it like car washes and stuff? Yeah, or like, like car washes and trucking accounts. Uh, I made it big in Michigan. Um, I had a really good success with a, uh, a product that would clean concrete off of concrete trucks, but it wouldn't eat the truck because you have to use an acid that has an inhibitor in it so the acid wouldn't um, uh, uh, eat the truck and what was cool just like BG we had these awesome demos and we'd come in with these two beakers and we'd take their product that they're currently using and put it in a beaker and you take our product and then I have two slivers of unprotected aluminum raw aluminum and you drop them inside, and theirs would fizzle and bubble and would eat the aluminum, and mine would just sit there. And then you put concrete in it, and both would eat concrete, of course, because that's what they're, they're an acid and they're made to do. Right. But our product had an inhibitor in it that pr- protected the truck. So, yeah, that was probably my most successful selling product. I had, like, almost every ready mix up in Michigan when I before I started with BG back then I was I was doing business with them all over the place so yeah I knew the ready mix world pretty well that's cool like I never think about other companies having like those kind of product demos and stuff because right. I feel like I've never seen a demo from another company unless it's like oh we're doing this crappy trade show and then we get stuck next to the booth with like the glue guy <laughs> you know the glue guy he's always got like some sort of magic tape or something and it's like him and his wife and they're from australia and they're just like showing anybody who will walk up and watch the last show we were at i got stuck next to the flashlight guy oh like you know he had, he had lights that go on the hat and flash i mean tiny ones and big ones and i was i was tempted but i didn't buy any flashlights oh man <laughs> it's like it's always like the weirdest quirkiest people that are running the booth too. It's like everybody who failed a drug test after the ShamWow audition. <laughs> yeah, you gotta remember, we're all working that booth from BG that day too. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, same rules apply. Right. <laughs> trade shows are like, like there's trade shows are always like when you're talking about them in advance. It's like, okay, I know this is gonna suck really bad but i get to go to las vegas for a few days because yeah. they they all basically suck like to work they're not much fun like apex is the one that's actually kind of fun really 
Well, yeah, because it's like independent garage guys. Right, right. So they come in and they're like just looking for people to talk to. Like they're open to new ideas and stuff like that. So that one's fun. You usually get some good conversations. It's a lot of international guys too. So like generally you just point towards like Ryan Weems and you're like, yeah, talk to him. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I can't decide yeah. for this. But like uh, if you do like NADA. Like, none of those people from that are there are from service. Very few. Very few, yeah. And the only reason they stop is because their wife wants to, like, scour your booth for free crap. Right, yeah. So, like, you can, you can spot them coming. If they've got, like, two giant, like, plastic bags in each hand, you're like, oh, great. Get the mugs ready. Here comes the, the freebie shoppers. <laughs> I've worked for BG. I think I've worked one NADA convention. And it was... Uh, I do remember it was in um, uh, New Orleans, and it was the year before Katrina hit that we were oh. there. So it was, you know, I'd been along, I don't know, if, I, I guess NATA's been back there since. So when did, I'm not sure when did Katrina hit, 2006? I don't know, I have to Google that. Yeah, Channel. Bush administration. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, I, we were down there for that, and I do remember it was, it, yeah, it was that boring, but... I'll say this much, dude. Um, hats off to Wade Fremling, who doesn't work with us anymore. He's now a customer. But that dude taught me how to work a trade show. You don't sit in a booth. He went out cold calling at the damn trade show. Really? So, like, to the other vendors? Yeah, or? to the other places that were potential customers. Because, you know, kind of in Jeffrey Gittimer way, you know, Gittimer always tells us, Go call a salesperson, you know, ask a salesman because they'll tell you everything you want to know. And that's what, you know, who were at these booths. And so he would teach, he would go into places that we have cold called and could never get past anyone. And he'd go right up to the guys and say, I'm Wade with BG, been trying to get in touch with who takes care of your fleet. What's his name? What's his phone number? I don't and those guys, and they just can't wait to spill the beans. Oh, yeah, they can't. They're <laughs> That's a great show. idea. So yeah, Wade taught me a lot about that. That you, you don't just sit at the booth. If you're sitting at the booth, you're uh, you're wasting a lot of time. So yeah, we'd go out and just start canvassing, start cold calling at the trade show. The only time I've done anything like that is like occasionally at Apex or something like that. I'll take my name tag off and just like wander into the competitor booths. Just to hear like their line of garbage, yeah, you know. Yeah, that's fun to do like, too. I can see that. I remember the I last done one. That, but yeah, I can see that. It was like the last time I went to Apex. I wandered over to talk to the Petra guys, and it's like this old crusty alcoholic dude. This is like his fifth route sales job in you know ten years, and you know he's he's going through the spiel and he's like. You know, and then we put together what we call a, a good, better, best oil change menu. And it drives sales on the floor. You know, it, it was just like, it was like stepping back in time like 15 years ago to like whatever BG was saying at right. that point. But Well, when I went, I, I do remember this. I thought, what a weird coincidence. The winds distributor for that area, because I was in Illinois at the time. And uh, his name's Tony. Was at the Wins booth <laughs> the same time I was. I was like, "Damn it!" Makes so it hard I, to be sneaky. I couldn't go over there and sneak around. Yeah, because we we certainly knew who each other 
was, were, is, and is still to this day. So yeah, yeah, he was there that time at work in the wins booth while I was there at the BG booth. So I knew I couldn't sneak around in there much. <laughs> Plus, we were quite busy then. I remember then it was a it was on your feet, um, like eight ten hours that day. I mean, I mean, we kind of worked it in shifts, but. It was it was a lot of being on your feet, man. I've heard that NATA used to be a lot more geared towards service personnel, you know, and stuff. So yeah. there was a lot of dealers still sending like their service manager and parts manager and stuff to the show. Yeah, well, it's been God, it's been again. I think it's at least 10, 12, 15 years since I've been. So yeah, or something like that. So industrial strength chemicals, and then how'd you how'd you end up at BG? I literally answered an ad in the paper. Um, Brad Bucks was purchasing West Michigan. Um, at the time, the company I was working for, I was I, I had worked for them when I was in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and then um, long story, we ended up moving back to Michigan. And I just I just wasn't I, I started a virgin territory with them with the concrete ready mixes and all that stuff. And it, it just took so much to get stuff up and go. But I built a decent territory. Um, and I, they wanted me, they were having me work a week in Fort Wayne and then a week at home. So I was just doing this constant, you know, I had an apartment Oof. in Fort Wayne in the, the very nice crack district um, of Fort Wayne. <laughs> so <laughs> Fort Wayne. Yeah, Fort Wayne, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a... I had a tiny little one-bedroom, tiny little thing, and I'd lived down there for a week, and then I'd come back with her for a week. And um, so anyway, I answered Nan in the paper. Uh, Brad and I just clicked, man, at the interview. We really liked each other and still, I hope I hope still do to this day. I like Brad. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it still does. <laughs> but uh, we really clicked, and it's funny. He said to me later on that he called his wife, because we left the interview and went out to dinner, that he called his wife and went, all right, I, th- I think I got the guy. And I know I called my wife and went, okay, I think I got this job. And and that's how I started with Brad in Michigan. And he hired me. They hadn't done the deal yet. They didn't own it yet. Ooh, that's ballsy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so my whole first month, I lived in Indiana. She was pregnant um, with Adam, who will be 21 this November. So imagine, you know. Shout out and Adam. I started October 5th, okay? October 5th was my start date. And so I spent the whole month of October in Indiana. And I remember back then it was the days of pagers. And every time I'd get in a van with a guy, I'd look down at my pager and I'd be like, so how far away am I from my car right now? You know, if I have to... If my pager goes off. But you luckily, gotta run for the hospital. Right, yeah, luckily, <laughs> luckily it never happened. I ended up getting back. And I was really worried about them actually, the, the deal falling through. I was there when they closed on it. I was there when we were doing the inventory. And there was a lot of FUs and all that thrown about. And I thought, oh, God, <laughs> you guys better make this deal. I don't have a job. <laughs> to be fair, that's just how every inventory goes. <laughs> So yeah, that was that was the very beginnings of, of me at BG. My first week, I remember I drove down our family minivan to the uh, BG training facility that Brad had there, and we were doing a fuel service on it. And the thing starts. It was like during the fuel oh, service. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, 
I looked at Brad and, and you know, I was still, that was a week into it. And I said, Brad, uh, I came here with a vehicle that was running. I'm leaving here with one that's running. So whatever you did. <laughs> Nothing inspires confidence like that. Yeah, it was fun. And I took it out on a test drive afterwards and it just ran like a raped eight. But, but during the service, man, it was, it was making all kinds of noise and everything. That is just like the worst when something like that's going on in a demo. <laughs> And like you think it'll get better, right? You think you hope, and, and so you just have to play it real cool while your mind is racing, right. you know. <laughs> so that's so you started in in Michigan, yeah. And was there any business up there in Michigan to speak of at the time? Or <laughs> I think, as I remember, the guy his his name was Ron. I don't know what his last name was, and I, I'm sorry that I don't. But the name of his business was R letter R stuff. Oh God! That was that's that was his distributorship. Our stuff. Our stuff. Um, so again, I forgive me if my history is wrong. I don't remember everything about that. But uh, he said that they had done a hundred thousand dollars the previous year. Whoa! In all of West Michigan. <laughs> and so I, burning the place down. Oh yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. That was that was early on. Yeah, so. That was not much. I don't remember what I did. I have records of it, and if you had asked me if we, if I'd known we were going to go there, I could have got them. But I, you know, our my first year in sales, I don't even remember what it was. But I do know that eight months in, oh, there's my dog. Um, eight months in, I didn't mail my resume, but I tidied it up. <laughs> <laughs> I never just, said it to anyone. Just <laughs> knocking the dust but off, I just and just in sure case. I had all the stuff right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then I went to a, my very first Charlie Polston school, and when I came back, I I remember back then twenty grand a month was just, you know, you were you were kicking it, and I came back and it was like twenty, and then twenty seven, and twenty eight, and thirty, and forty, and you know, and then it just just you know, build, just build, 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 build. But I had to go to a Charlie school. I, I saw Eddie one time at a, uh, a zone meeting in uh, Pennsylvania. I think it was in Pittsburgh. And Eddie told us a story once about how he opened up a shop and he put in like six services at once. And I remember elbowing the guy next to God, how do you do? How do you put in six things at once? <laughs> now you try to talk him out of it. Right. <laughs> Are you sure? You're sure. That's a lot of free you equipment. You can start with just fuel and oil right now and make sure you can do this. <laughs> yeah. But I remember that time then. It's just It was so funny back then thinking about, you know, where we've come to where we are and all that with BG. It's just, it's cool. It's funny because, like, you know, I, I've been around BG a long time, you know. Long before I was like ready to pay attention and stuff, but I feel like the generation before me of BG guys, you know, that was the Eddie Bash generation. Right. And there's so many people that came out of that time period, you know, in the 80s and 90s and stuff like that, that were trained by Eddie, you know. And I think my generation of BG is Charlie Paulson's, you oh, know, yeah. I know, because that was literally like my first real training that I got with BG right. was going to BGU and Charlie spoke, you know, and taught us to do demos and stuff. And there's just got to be so many guys that have like a similar story, you know, about 
Charlie was kind of their introduction to things. Oh, I said at one point, if Charlie had a class on brushing your teeth, I would show up. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Because I'm sure there'd be a lot in there that I would learn. So, no, I, I, I 100% attribute it. Uh, that, that class that we had, and I remember it vividly, Brad had a contest that he was going to take him plus one other person to that class. And I came in second in the contest. I didn't win. And I really wanted to go to that class. Well, the guy who won is still a good buddy of mine, Craig Ness. Everybody calls him Nip. He's basically the guy that trained me. And Craig's running a vegetable farm. Or, uh, uh, he's, he is a vet, but uh, I'm trying to think of the words. What is it, Shannon? He's all natural and... Anyway, but the nip out. slipped. But nip's gone. Uh, <laughs> nip, nip quit, and I ended up because I was second place. Ended up going, and that's how uh, um, I got turned on to that. And I, I think really, if it hadn't, if I hadn't gone to that class, I don't think I'd be here now. I really don't. Not with BG. It's it's tough. Like when you start a territory on your own, or you inherit like a territory that's been run into the ground, like. There's some pretty harrowing months in there where you're just like, "What did I do? You know, like, <laughs> what did, where, what, you know, how did I end up in this situation? And is this going to get better and stuff? You know, but well, I've done both because I had Michigan and Illinois that were pretty much virgin territory, and then compared to here, I would ten times rather have virgin territory than. Take over one, like years of of kind of apathy, whatever it is. I mean, years of anything. I would way better have one that's virgin that I can go in and, I mean, set the pricing and set the the procedure and the policies. And you know, we're right. we're still known here as oh, you're BG. Well, you're going to give us all the equipment. You're going to print all of our menu. You're going to do everything for us for free because. Your BG and we bought three fuel kits from you last year. Yeah, like my obligation here is nothing. Right. Shell out my free stuff. So that's taking a long time to get past here. But in a, in a new territory, I didn't have it at all. I mean, in Illinois, I look at some of the things that I could do there that I haven't been able to do here. And it's simply because it was new into the market, you know. So you spent how many years in Michigan? Six. And then went to Illinois from there? Ten years in Illinois, yeah. Okay. In Illinois, you had, like, what, what Peoria, right? Peoria. The, my big markets were Peoria and Bloomington. So. Okay. Have you ever been to Peoria? Oh, yeah, yeah, I've been have. there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I specifically visited the, the KKK town you told me about. They had like a super racist high school mascot and stuff. Yeah. What, what's that town called? All right, let's, let's not talk about that. <laughs> it wasn't my town. I did not no. live there. <laughs> he lived in a different zip code. Totally different. But yeah, it, it was a sundowner. It was not good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so in Peoria, you know, you were uh, like a co-distributor. Helped to manage that entire area. And you had, how many people did you have kind of under your employee? And, uh, at the most I ever had was two, and and that was um, well, there was a guy when I got there um, named Bill, 
and and he he was doing about two hundred grand a year when I got there. The whole territory was, and called him old Double Michigan. Yeah, <laughs> Double Michigan. Yeah. I I let the, I fired this guy three times. <laughs> the first time, the first time that I let him go, um, he actually came back to me the next day with a plan like written out like here's what i'm you know i mean that's that's admirable right i was like, like that's well, gets your attention yeah I'll, you know what dude welcome back aboard right okay you i got your attention and then long story short he did not follow the plan so i fired him again and the literally the third time i fired him was he still had because we were all independent contractors he still had some product left over and i caught him selling it at a store <laughs> like dude Meet me in the parking lot. I'll buy everything you've got. Would you? So <laughs> You're would you? Done. Would you describe yourself as a slow learner with a big heart? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So yeah, I mean, it was it was one thing, you know, there to do that. What were we talking about before I got off on Bill? Well, how many people you had under you? Oh yeah, and and so the most I ever had. So there was Bill, and then later my brother. Todd came on with me uh, uh, after I'd been there about a year or so. And Shouts I, out to Todd. Oh yeah, hello Todd. I gave I gave <laughs> Todd some area, and then he helped with a lot of deliveries. And there was a time when I had a, uh, a young guy named Harley working for me. Harley was the son of a parts manager named Mike, and um, I enjoyed having Harley with me. Harley worked with me Tuesday, Thursday, one week, and then like Monday, Wednesday, Friday the next week. Kind of thing. I did, and he was a uh, he was like nineteen or twenty at the time. He's probably thirty now. God, probably thirty five. I don't know. Time goes so fast. Um, but um, he would just help me in stores, and I paid him cash. Um, and he would meet me at seven thirty in the morning, and or whatever time we were starting that day. And I would just hand him a list and say, "Go pull this out of the truck. Stock it there." Well, I went and paid spiffs or fixed tools, and so he was he was a support guy. It was just a support large. guy. Just yeah, help me with the day to day. Right, but I only had him every other day, and I tried to help him around his college schedule. But anyway, he didn't. I don't think he ended up actually finishing college. But long story short, slow learner too, <laughs> Mr. Harley. He was a good dude. I I really enjoyed having Harley help me, um, and then eventually it just got to where it was just me and Todd and. Todd would do a big portion of my deliveries and he had a set group of stores that were his accounts and I had a set group of stores that were my accounts. So, you know, I, I wasn't going to make him deliver three training kits and two cubes. Right. You know, I would do some of that. But yeah, the most I ever had down there in, in Illinois, that was that was just, would be me and at most two others at the most. Gotcha. And now it's, what do we have here, Shannon? What, we have seven, six salesmen plus four in the office, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a big, big job compared <laughs> to that. <laughs> and but, so... But we're still small, but yeah. So did you kind of have your heart set on becoming a distributor then? I mean, was that like your... Was that always kind of like a goal that you had? Yeah, it was. It was, and it was early on that it was. Good question. Um, I actually talked to Brad about it, and when 
when when I when he moved me, as I often joke, I got demoted from salesman to sales manager. You know, <laughs> you know how that goes because you're a salesman making this commission, and I, you know, I was building a territory that was at that time doing like. 40, 50 grand a month. I mean, we're talking 98, 99. You know, those were yeah. those were good numbers. Clinton administration days. dollars. Right. It yeah. translates different. <laughs> and uh, so they they demoted me to sales manager. And uh, I remember once, you know, because we started out on somewhat of a guarantee. And then over time, I started earning these commission checks. And I would say to Brad, I'm like, dude, if you want, you can keep these checks and let me be an owner. You know, I want to. I want to buy in. I want to be an owner. So yeah, early on, I I had the dream. Uh, I saw that I wanted to be an owner in, in one of these. Things. I don't know why. Um, well, sometimes it's good to just reflect on the fact that you brought this on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And and I I reflect a lot when I talk to Shannon, and I think a lot of times I'm like. You know, if we'd have just stayed in Michigan years ago, we'd, your mom's right there and your sister's right there, and, you know, things would be different. But I'm sure Brad would have fired me by now because I would have said something inappropriate. <laughs> most, most likely. Yeah, most likely. You're doing great, by the way. <laughs> it does seem like for some people, like, that distributor is just, like, that's their trajectory. You know, like, like there's some guys I know right now that, you know, I know like that's where they're ultimately headed. Right. You know, not guaranteeing everybody will get there, but like there's just some people that you look at and you're like, someday that guy's going to run stuff, you know? Right. So. I don't know, man. I think about that too, and I, because I, I've known a lot of guys along the way, you know, I've talked to a lot, but yeah, I guess you're, and I'm, I'm sorry that I'm, I'm waffling here, but. I think about that because, you know, a friend that we both know, Clint, Chris, along the same lines, Clint and I were chasing this thing at the, the very same time, even chasing the same one, you know? So, yeah, it's a, there's a lot of guys out there. Yeah, I guess you are right. Uh, I'm just not in that pool anymore, and I don't have that group. Of, <laughs> I don't have that circle of friends nowadays. I don't I don't talk to those those people that are there. That but, by the way, Clint, you're going to be a guest at some point. But I'll expect to do some heavy editing on that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So, at what what year did you start like discussing uh, Minnesota with Joe Novogratz? Yeah, right, Joe Novogratz, um, super dude. Um, it was uh, 2014, right? That we came up here. I look over to Shannon for the nod. Yep. It was uh, Father's Day weekend. I remember that because we spent Father's Day Sunday in a hotel in Minnesota. And uh, Father's Day weekend, and we met with him that Monday was our first meeting. And um, yeah, there were times, man, that I didn't think it was going to happen. There were, uh, there were a lot of times I didn't think it was going to happen. And I didn't know where I was going to be, you know, but... We came to we came to a good agreement. Joe's a super good guy. Um, I couldn't have asked for a better guy to get to buy out than him. And I'd looked at a lot of them. You know, I I had gotten on planes and flown to others and had meetings. And I can remember one in particular. I got I was in the uh, bar at the airport 
and the guy poured the most perfect Guinness I've ever had in my life. He had the clover leaf <laughs> on the top and everything. And I was like, even that is not going to convince me to ever come back to this town. <laughs> and buy that guy out. And I won't say where that is. But, uh, yeah, I, I looked at a lot of them. And I, I knew early on that I was going to do it. You know, I just, I knew this was, this was the goal that, where we wanted to get to. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, like, timing-wise, because that's 2014 is when I went to BG corporate, you know, and started as a field trainer. And uh, so that's kind of, that's how Steve and I got to know each other is, um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time up here my first couple of years, you know, working with his guys and well, stuff. Well, you know, that's because Peter said to us as a new distributor, he goes, we'll, we'll give you a lot of support your first year. And it's about, I don't know, somewhere around November, October, something like that, he called and was like, holy crap, Tingle, how much are you going to have these guys up there? <laughs> well, and, all you guys come in the first year, man. I'll take all the help we can get. And in some cases, you get what you pay for. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like, uh, you know, I worked at a lot of different distributorships, you know, while I was a field trainer. And this was a place in particular that like, when you got into the stores and you started talking to customers and things like that, like, it was clear that these guys were, were loved locally, you know, like, their salesmen and stuff like that before, you know, pre-Tingle, like, they had good relationships with customers, and they tried to do a good job to keep, you know, to take care of them and stuff like that. Sure. So, that was that was a encouraging thing to see, yeah. you know? Yeah, it was. There, I don't believe that there were any uh, bad players here. I really, I don't think. I don't think there was anything malicious. I mean, there's... There's some crazy stories that I've heard that sure. would probably be for the, uh, what's the name of this podcast? The, smoke and Burn. Uh, okay, so it'll be for the Smoke and Burn After Dark. <laughs> smoke and Burn. I've got some of those that I've heard. From. Smoke and Burnt. <laughs> but no, no, we had some really good guys. I mean, you know, we've, we've lost some of those guys that moved on. Some just didn't want to adapt to the new way of doing things and, um, and, some left for other reasons, but, you know, whatever. But, um, yeah, I mean, we didn't have... What we inherited were not very... Were, there was nothing malicious going on. There was nothing inherently evil happening here. It was just, right. Uh, excuse me. It's just... Um, uh, what do I want to put? The, uh, the slow turn of Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a term you would get very familiar with. <laughs> So you've been here since 2014. Well, yeah, yeah. I got here in the September is when I first moved here. It was like uh, it was like the Monday after Labor Day is when I started coming, and we didn't put a deal together actually until January one. So we took over as distributors January one of fifteen. But I was here working with the guys and living in a hotel. Oh, that was fun. Which is a blast. Oh yeah. Yeah, living in a hotel. And not the nice sort of hotel. <laughs> oh, no. This is the one you put a quarter in the bed. <laughs> no, I was in an embassy suite. Or, uh, no, what was it? Extended stay, America. Which, because uh, I kept thinking I would get a house. You know, I kept, we were looking for a house. And I didn't want to sign a lease or get in anything long. So I thought for sure we'd get a house. So anyway, we bought this house um, sometime in early December, I think. 
and um, uh, I moved in here and I moved in like three things. I moved in an inflatable mattress, a TV, and my race car simulator. Those are the first three things to move oh, yeah. into the house. Priorities. <laughs> Priorities, man. <laughs> a freezer full of Jack's pizzas. and No, I didn't have a free- I had nothing. I, I, I didn't even have lights. I didn't have a, um, a lamp or anything when we first moved in. But, Jergens yeah. in a box of Kleenex. <laughs> Whatever it takes to get by. Man. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I did that for a while. But, uh, um, yeah, it was a good time. Uh, but... I was I was spending a lot of time here, and I would go home uh, back to Illinois with them like every other week, and try to spend a weekend, do some laundry, and head back north. That's that's tough. Yeah, it was September, October, November, December. Well, and then about halfway through December, I moved into here into the house, so. I think it's like it's it's fine if you know that it's short term. Like if you're thinking like I don't know when this is gonna end. Like it's that's a miserable. Oh yeah. You know. Oh yeah. Because we did that when I was a kid. You know, my dad when he first started working in Michigan, it was a week in Michigan and then a week at home. Right. A week in Michigan and a week at home. And it's not like you know the week at home is like he's just taking off work. You know. So like that was a that was a stressful I think, think point. I'm doing that now. I'm doing a week in Duluth and a week at home and a week in Duluth and a week at home. It's no different. That's a vacation in Duluth. <laughs> People are itching to go there. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wait a month. <laughs> Come with me in January to Duluth, please. Oh my God. I've done it. I don't know it's why brutal. people live there, man. I just. I, and I'm, I mean, where I'm at even, you know, in Minneapolis, I just, it, it gets cold as hell. Oh, there. yeah. Well, Duluth especially, we were talking about this earlier, but Duluth is broken into two halves. Right, right. Duluth has the half that's on the side of the mountain, or the, you know, of the side of the hill, which right. is the old Duluth, you know. Right. That goes down to Lake Superior, and then you have the plateau up on top. Hermantown. Right, which is kind of like the newer, like, yeah, that's where, where your Applebee's is going to be, yeah, you know? Right. And uh, totally different weather. It's like being on two different continents. <laughs> yeah, it's completely different. It's like you can be up on the top, and it's pretty calm, you know? There's a little bit of light snow flying and stuff like that. And then you drive down to the bottom on Lake Superior, <laughs> and there's this just, like, hypothermia wind <laughs> that blows straight through every right. bit of clothing you got on you yeah and it's snowing like hell and it's crazy how you it's just and then and then even worse than that like i was telling you earlier tonight you cross the bridge and go over to superior wisconsin and it's completely different yeah it's like <laughs> what the hell's going on you have so many different weather patterns in that small little geographical area it's unbelievable like superior is uh, it's i don't know Get you goomy, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, Duluth is a, is a nice little town, kind of picturesque and pretty. Uh, Superior, which is right across the bridge, is like that cousin that you don't really like that sometimes calls you and asks you for money. <laughs> yeah, Superior is that way. It's, it's, there's people who say... Um, was it the most beautiful view in the world is standing on standing in Superior, Wisconsin and looking at Duluth, Minnesota. 
And the worst view in the world is standing in Duluth and looking at Superior, Wisconsin. Right. Superior's were... I mean, while there are some iron ore pickups over on the, on the Duluth side, there's a whole lot on the Superior side. So there's a lot more of the shipping and crap and trains. And, you know, it's just more industrial, dirty... Yeah, stuff. it's got a vibe. Yeah, it's, it does. It definitely has a vibe. It's got a, it's got a like, uh, uh, small scale Gotham City sort of vibe. <laughs> <laughs> I like it up there, though. I like the folks up there. I really do. It's a fun area to go to, and uh, they never get tired of talking about the weather. I've no. never <laughs> met any culture group that can constantly talk about the weather than people up there, and. Even so, in, uh, we have an area north of there called the Iron Range, which is where they mine a lot of iron ore and stuff. And uh, yeah, those, those folks, that's all. That's, that's, the, that's today's conversation. And every day's conversation is the weather. Because it's either going to snow or it just finished snowing. Well, how fast you figured we'd die if we went outside with no coat? <laughs> it's like everywhere you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's the weather here. So I think I think you know, and being this is kind of our first episode here, I think it's cool to hear other people's career story. You know, it's like something I've always kind of been interested in is like because we're all kind of headed down the same road, sure. right? We're all doing this BG thing together and stuff, but everybody sort of got there in a different sort of way, right? You know, but we have a common goal in mind, which I I think it's really cool to hear. Cool. So. Um, so now, like, we're, you know, it's almost October now, looking at a new year pretty quick here. You guys go, you guys go by calendar year. We do calendar, yeah. Okay. So you're going to lag behind for a little while, but. (laughs) (laughs) So what's, what's, uh, what's on the horizon for you guys this year? Like, what do you see as being, you know, your focus going into 2020? Wow. Good question again. Um. I'm really focused on uh, smart VMA, I'm focused on sales training, and I'm focused on a handful of products. How's that? So, smart VMA, you know, we've got two going in next week. Um, I really think that's going to make a huge difference in sales, but we shall see. But so many other distributors have proven it to be true. So right, we're we're finally finally getting a hold of that. Um, the sales training we've been doing, as you know, we've hired a Sandler trainer. We're getting some great results, some great conversations. I got my guys at least understanding what a process is in sales, you know. And then on products, uh, I want to focus a lot again. Continued focus on the one hundred and nine. EPR, MOA, oil change K, level oil change products, stuff. but I I just keep going back to that stop squeal brake kit, and I just don't know why we're not selling more of it. When I was a route guy, when I was a salesman, I sold twenty to thirty thousand dollars a year of that product. And so, by this kit, what we're talking about is the eight eight three nine kit. It's a uh... A full-size can of 403, the brake, you know, non-chlorinated brake cleaner, a bottle of stop squeal, and a tube of caliper grease. Right. The idea behind it being that, like, this is all the shop supplies you really need for a brake job. 
And listen, hats off uh, to Ed Norman. By the way, I don't know if you've seen Ed's kit. Have you ever seen his? Yeah, he's packaging like a toothbrush and a yeah, some yeah. dental floss or something. Like that. <laughs> and he's got a Ziploc bag and all that. And a, uh, what is it like? Two oil soap pads, and like sanding discs, right? Yeah, like Rolock discs and all that stuff with it. So I mean, he's, he's he's taking that to the next level. Yeah, like he's, he's actually providing everything you need in shop supplies. To absolutely, do this. I mean, way next level. So I, when I saw that, I'm like, oh, that's brilliant, but. I'm, you know, I'm noticing that the only places that we're selling it now are ones that I've gotten started. So I'm, I'm teaching and training my guys to be able to do that. Or it's some that, I do have a few that have done it on their own. I don't want to discredit any of my guys, that, you know, because they'll hear this and think I was bad-mouthing them. I've had some <laughs> that have taken it and done it on their we own. We only bad-mouth you off air. <laughs> but, no, there are... Uh, there are a lot of them that I am the one who got them started. And I look at some of the territories where I haven't worked with as much, and I'm like, wow, they're not selling these. And it's because I haven't gone in there and helped open and showed them how to get them going. And it was just, it was so easy for me when I was in a route to sell that that kit. It just makes sense. So let's, okay, because I, I think there's a lot of people that aren't selling any of those kits, right? So if I'm if I'm a service manager or a parts manager... Walk me through, like, let's let's give everybody kind of the rundown on, like, why this is a good idea. The first thing I always do is I always ask a service manager, um, where is brake clean on his P&L? Is brake clean a, a shop supply? Is it an expense? Yeah, or I mean, it, it's a shop supply. Right, which 99% of them it is. And then I can just quickly say, would you like to know how to make money on brake clean? And if they go, no, then I walk away, which most people don't. Yeah, how do I do Call that? him an idiot under his breath. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I just show them the kit or talk about the kit. And, um, you know, you put this on every brake job you do, one per axle. Our cost is around 12 bucks. Retail it for 20 um, And now you're making money on brake clean. So the, the idea being there, you know, especially if you're – if you're new to some of this stuff. So what typically happens is the parts department will order in brake cleaner. They either order in a drum or they get it in cans, you know, on a pallet or something like that. But they take that product and they just bill it to service. So parts really isn't making any money on it because they're not marking it up hardly ever. Service department is just eating the cost. So it comes straight out of their gross profit. Okay. And then you know, they, they charge a shop supply fee to try to recoup the money they've spent on things like brake cleaner. You right. know, there's a lot of things that fall in that category, brake cleaner being a big one. Right, like rags that they use in the shop and other things that fall under shop supply. So, and that's important, though, that you brought that up because you have to have a conversation with the manager before he brings up, well, we charge 7% on the bottom. You've got to tell him you're going to still charge 7%. Right, charge your shop supply fee. Yeah, because that's an. I don't know why that's an objection they bring up. As if, I mean, they'll say that, and I guess it isn't an objection, but it, it kind of is. It's kind of like them going, "Well, I charge seven percent, so I've learned to just bring it up ahead of time." And you know, when I very first got to Minnesota, I remember sitting around in the conference table, and we sold none. We had none of that that we ever sold here. And now we're up to like 
thirteen grand a year, which still is not much. Right. You know, we still have a long way to go, I think. Considering I used to sell twenty to thirty grand a month. <laughs> you know? Right. Um but I looked around the room and I remember saying, like, hey guys, there's 20, 40, 60, 80, 100, 120, 100. We can grow $140,000 next year and do nothing but add this one product. Right. So, so the first benefit to the department is that, you know, you're going you're gonna to stop taking money out of your gross profit to pay for brake cleaner, or at least right. significantly, significantly reduce it, right? right. Yeah. You know, instead of buying a drum a month, you'll buy a drum every six. You still charge your shop supply fee, but now you have a product that you can list as a line item on the RO, right. meaning you can mark this product up and charge it retail to the customer. So the customer's going to have, you know, brake job, $199.99, and then brake service kit, $19.99, okay, which is found revenue. I mean, it's money that they weren't touching before, that nobody is having to lift a finger to sell, right? Because this is just going out automatically. And boom, you know, it's just there. It's just money that you've made them doing nothing but just changing a small procedure that they're already doing. And and the significant, I don't think it's, it's emphasized enough, the significant change from taking something on the balance sheet, you know, with my hand here being level at zero, and taking something from a negative to instantly being a positive is enormous on the balance sheet. It's right. a profit and loss statement. It's absolutely enormous what it can do for the profitability of that dealership. So yeah, to me, that one kit is, I mean, that's one we ought to be selling them out of just common sense. It just makes sense to me. That's, sure. That's why it's, it's everybody's making money. And you know, you can go to the parts manager and say, hey, look, I know you're just passing this brake cleaner along at cost to the service department. How'd you like to make a little scratch on the side right. with this stuff? You exactly. know, if it's $12 and they mark it up to 20, you know, service and parts split the four or some cases service would just be like, Hey, I'm just glad I'm not paying out of pocket for this stuff. Right. You know, either way, it's, it's just a, it's easy rep. Even if, and I have some shops that we've done that it's 12 bucks and they mark it up to 15. Right? I mean, it's horrible margin. But you were losing money before. Now you're right. making three bucks. You know what I mean? It's it's whatever they want to do. You know, I mean, most and, of our shops are around, you know, again, that we, we sell for 12 and they're doing it for 20. But we do have some that want to keep it, you know, we need to be competitive or whatever it is on a break job, that kind of head trash mentality that's out there. And only if they balk on everything. Do I then bring up the stop squeal guarantee? Right. Which you guys guarantee two years? Is that what it is? Or we guarantee for life. For life. Your brakes will never squeal again. Right. So that that is what a lot of guys lead with is like, hey, what if I guaranteed your brakes right. not to squeal? It's really not the best foot to put forward first. Right. If you lead with that, you're only gonna get the ones that squeal. <laughs> yeah, because most of them are gonna be like, Well, brakes aren't squealing, man. Right. So, you know, that's that's the conversation you got to keep towards the end, right. you know. And if, on top, ever, if ever. If, if ever. ever. I mean, most shops I don't ever go that way with. Even, you know, back to my rep days when I was doing the warranty and all that stuff, most of my shops I never had to go there. 
And I only would do it because, you know, BG obviously is not warranting that. That's out of my pocket. Sure. That if I want to. And so I only go there if I have to get them to close. And if you use it on everyone you do, I'll warranty your brakes. It's like one store. more twig on the pile. Right. Yeah. So to lead this conversation off, you want to talk about, you want to ask questions about how they're acquiring brake cleaner right now. Right. Most cases it's going to be, a, you know, it's just going to be a cost to the store. The other thing you can bring up is that there's very little inventory control. If you've got a barrel of brake cleaner in the back of the shop, people are just filling it up whenever they feel like it. They're cleaning their tools or the floor with it. You know, yeah, no. a lot of it is going down the drain as waste. Having an ob- or a kit that you can charge out as a line item gives you inventory control over it too because it's one per brake job. You know, they're probably still going to need some supplemental brake cleaner, but it will drastically reduce that. And then, of course, you can always pivot to, you know, some sort of a guarantee or something like that. And, you know, we've offered the same sort of guarantee in Michigan. We offer it in Kansas, too. Um, Seldom, if ever, have we ever handled a claim. I mean, it's really, it's very rare. I remember, again, back in my territory running days, I would think I'd get nine or ten claims a year. And remember, I'm selling, you know, at that time, I was ten bucks a kit. I remember then I was I was nine ninety five for that kit back then, and uh, was selling twenty thousand dollars a year minimum, sometimes thirty, and would get nine or ten. I'll gladly write that check. Right, <laughs> right. <Gladly. laughs> well, and you know, for you guys that are trying to, you know, you're looking at your territory, like how do I grow? How do I? How do I? you know, make a stride in the right direction in my territory right now, you know? Uh, these little things are the things that, you know, if, if you master the conversation, right, you really just get your ducks in a row when it comes to talking about it, you know, once you get this in place, it's automatic. Nobody has to sell a single thing right. for this to be moving off the shelf. And, you know, perfect example, one of my sales guys, you know, is, did a good job of implementing this kit into one of his big Ford stores. And this place has just fallen off the map in a lot of ways. You know, their traditional service count is pretty low. But, you know, he sold them like $5,000 worth of brake squeal kits this year. Wow. That's... And, I mean, yeah, it's it's really helps to offset that, you know. And in an account where you feel like, they are doing a good job with BG and they're selling, you know, and you're working your butt off for incremental growth. You know, these are little things that you can add in that that just make it a, an even better account. You know, oh, yeah. brake stop squeal kits, you know, fridgy fresh with cabin filters, battery pads with batteries, you name it. The more things you have on the shelf that don't need to be sold to make it off the shelf, the better off you are, the more stable your sales are. Yeah, it really it really helped out a lot. I mean it was I had so many accounts that I would go to that they hadn't sold anything this week, but they had done twelve break jobs. So they got a case of kids. You know? Yeah. That was that that was a a really easy one, you know, for me. I don't know why. That kit just kind of sticks to me. I think it's one of those that like once you understand the value that it represents to the store, you're like Holy balls! Why would why wouldn't anybody do this? You know. Like, <laughs> yeah. So the other thing you talked about was you know your focus on on sales technique mm-hmm. 
and understanding the sales process and where you're at in it. Do you want to kind of give like a, a brief explanation of, of Sandler and what it's done for you guys? Yeah, I'll talk about before Sandler though, can I? That's sure, right. yeah, absolutely. Um, because we had a sales trainer we hired before we had sales tra- um, Sandler trainer. And this guy kept saying to me, he was like, you have to write a sales process. There has to be a sales process. So he just kept over and over and over saying that. And I kept like scratching my head going, how do I write a process for a MOA versus a PF5 versus a fleet and a, you know, to an independent, a dealer. I just, I so many variables I to was account like, for. How do you do that? You know, there was just no way uh, you just work here a long time. <laughs> <laughs> that's you know? the plan almost everywhere. <laughs> but that's why people fail. Right. And, and, so this guy was absolutely right. I mean, we needed a sales process. And what's funny, hand me that right there, will you? That, uh, that notepad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this notepad what was notes that I took. I, I think we identified it was in 2015, right, Shannon? Repcon in Dallas, Repcon right? Repcon in Dallas. Okay. And it was uh, Bradley Mounts and Don Sufco talking about what they had done. Long story short, we've since hired the very same, same trainer that they're using um, to teach us this. And while it, I agree, it ain't perfect, but there is a, a process that we are now developing, building, teaching to our salespeople about how to approach the selling process. And there's you know seven steps in that process, and so as we're we're learning our way through these these processes, it's it's amazing how it's changed the conversation, and uh, it, it's helped us focus on where we need to be putting our efforts in our territory. Does that make sense? Right. So anyway, yeah, it was just it was really cool that they showed us this way back in 2015, and I've got all these notes, and I never understood most of it back then but I took these notes and now that we're four months into our sampler training process I fully understand what this is and what they're talking about now because it's all part of our lexicon now and it's just things we teach and live by so Sandler as a as a whole like the idea behind it is basically you know people are are accustomed to and and kind of callous to conventional sales tactics right yes, that's there's yeah and so Sandler you know kind of takes a different approach to the sales process where you know they're they're trying to uh upturn the apple cart you know give somebody something that they don't expect to hear from a salesman yeah that's that's it in a nutshell yeah that's really it that's a that's a that's a very succinct way to put it i like that you can hire me If right. uh, if you're curious about Sandler training, you know, as a as a sales rep or even as a distributor, I guess you know, um, the very foundational, fundamental, like first Sandler training book is called "You Can't Teach a Kid to Ride a Bike at a Seminar." Right. Yeah. Start there. And so, yeah, that's a great place to kind of get your feet wet and see what you think of of some of their ideas. Because without this is going to sound Sandlery, but it's the truth. It ain't for everybody. Oh, here we go. <laughs> just not for everybody. It so, really like, process-wise, you know, and of course you could go into 
we could talk about this for hours, you know, if we wanted to, but process versus no process. How do you, what do you see as being like the, the benefits of just having like a defined blueprint for how to sell? I think for, for new people coming into our industry, which, you know, I have several of, it's absolutely crucial. Because it tells them what to do and how to do it and in what order it needs to be done. And again, that's why, you know, I, I hate sounding salary, but for a lot of old guys that have been doing this their way, this ain't going to work for them. You know? Strike two. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. It is. It really is. It's just, it's, uh, I, I don't know how much of this I could have... I. I I do incorporate some of this. You know, one of the things Sandler teaches us is a thing called staying left. And I, I think um, I think back to when I was in Illinois and I had a, a service manager. Well, he was a technician named Rocky. And Rocky literally threw a wrench and hit me with a wrench. It wasn't a big wrench. It was one of those little, well, little wrench. Still a wrench. But it, he <laughs> hit me across the shop with a wrench. And he hated using the PF5, just hated it. I mean, it was the biggest piece of crap, and he'd scream and yell every time I was in here, and PG guy, you jerk, you know. Well, when the manager got let go, of course, they promoted Rocky. Freaking Rocky. Rocky. So when I went into Rocky's office, the first thing, I sat down in his new office, I sat down and looked at him, and I went, so uh, when do you want me to pick up all the equipment? And Rocky goes, no way, man. We make money selling that shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, I'd like to file an HR complaint. <laughs> yeah, no I have a dent in my cranium, thanks to you. So, no, I mean, I, I was kind of doing some of this Sandler stuff naturally, you know, on my own. And it was just kind of, you know, that's staying. I, I, don't, I didn't realize then, but now after some of the training I've been through, there's nothing I could have said to Rocky at that moment that would have ever been better, you know, other than, hey, when do you want me to pull all my stuff out of here? Because I know how much you hate me. You hit me with a wrench. Right. You know? <laughs> so uh, I don't know that I could have done anything any better then. So, yeah, it's, it's along that lines. It's saying the kinds of things that are different than what other conventional salespeople are saying. But, it, you know, you have to be careful to not go too far. Because you can go so far the other way that you talk yourself you, right out the you, door, you blow yourself out. Yeah. So, but it's a it's a lot different. You know, one of the things that we've heard at BG is you know things like don't spill your candy in the lobby on a cold call. Right. And and the other thing, the the further to that that we're learning in Sandler that we have been guilty of is show up and throw up. You know. And right. We get to the demo. And we want them to see every feature, every benefit, everything that we've got. When in reality, they only need to see this, this, and this, and they're sold. You don't have to tell them. You know, uh, Sandler teaches us a, a concept called sell today and educate tomorrow. Which is gold. Right. Like, that's a great way of putting it. Right. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about the Sandler training. I'm really participating in it. One of the... I haven't even told you this story. Uh, one of the things that they teach is uh, after you set a meeting, you have to post-sell the meeting. And that's important that you post-sell. And one of the, okay. one of the concepts is, uh, you know, kind of like this. You scratch your, oh, man, I'm really busy on Thursday. I could move some things around and make this meeting work at 2 o'clock. Um, yeah, I can do that, Casey, if that'll work for you at 2. I just need to know... 
Is there anything possible? Is there anything that's going to come out between now and next Thursday at two, where we're going to have to reschedule this? Oh, what? No, we should we should be able to make. Okay, good. it shouldn't be I'm, a problem. I'm going to write this in ink, not in pencil. Are we okay with that? Yep. Okay, so that's a post sell. We've learned that type. So of you're thing. basically like establishing the idea that your time is valuable. Right. You've set aside stature. this time. Right. Right. You gotta. You gotta value my interaction with you as much as I value yours exactly. with me. Well, Sandler teaches you to do that for everyone. Everyone you set, okay? Well, I was with one of my reps, Nick, and I was recounting the story with Sean Eckert, one of my reps. And Sean Eckert, uh, I booked a meeting with Nick, and Sean goes, doesn't sound to me like you did a post-sale. <laughs> I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, you know, hey, boss, you didn't post-sell. And you know what Sandler says? So we've heard this in a training seminar, that if you don't, you have to pick up the phone and call and do the post-sell. So I did. And let me tell you something. When I was up in Duluth last week booking meetings for the next two weeks when I'm back, every one of them got post-sold, dude. Because <laughs> making that phone call... Um, well, it wasn't totally uncomfortable. It was a bit uncomfortable. It was a bit awkward. But uh, once you you set a goal or you you know commit to doing a process and you say this is what I'm going to do, and if I fail, guess what? I'm going to have to pick up the phone and do it. And I did. Uh, yeah, you you better be man. And and I let my guys, you know, because we're we're all going through this learning process together. That I'm part of the sales team when we're salesmen. Mm-hmm. Makes sense, you know. When we're out there, when we get in the van uh, after a call, we'll sit back and decompress and break down the call and what did we do and what could we have done and what questions didn't we ask and all that kind of stuff, all to make us better and have that conversation. And one of the things, another thing that Sandler is teaching us is, you know, the ego states. And one of the ego states that they talk about is the adult ego state. And and we come back in and we. Say, hey, we're, we're going to be in the adult, man-to-man ego state. So this is not, I'm not, um, you know, going to beat you down and attack you. It's, let's discuss this and what could we have done better. So, yeah, we spent a lot of time doing that. Ah, that's cool, though. So let's, why don't we, let's do another episode sometime in the future here maybe in a couple months or something like that where we kind of center the conversation around sandler and you can explain some of the things that you guys are doing Shoot, i may not stuff. be the best one to have that conversation <laughs> with <laughs> who knows you might want to talk to one of my guys you know what i'll let them come on afterwards and fact check you <laughs> yeah that'd be fine that'd be fun so before we close out here give me a uh, one great like demo or cold call story. Oh my god. Great demo or cold call. Train wreck or otherwise. Okay, train I'll give you the train wreck. And this Perfect. I was hoping right you'd say this, that. This goes to my brother. <laughs> um, so my brother was new working with us. Um, and this had to have been like two thousand five, six, seven, somewhere around there. I don't remember exactly. And I had a hotel room full of service advisors. And 
tax and just doing advisor training in a hotel. And the day before I'd said to Todd, I'm like, dude, I need you to be more active, more involved. You need to be part of these demos, okay? So I'm up and we had the projector in the center and one table on the left and one table on the right. And I was over on the table on the left of the speaker, right? Um, and I don't remember what demo I was doing, but I was doing something. My brother gets up and gets over to the table on the right. And he starts lighting things on fire and he's got a test tube go anyway. And I'm over here doing my thing and I'm like, well, you know, he's participating. He's, he's up here. He's, he's doing something. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing, but he's doing something. And his memory of this is going to be completely different than mine. And I would absolutely love to hear what his is. But all I remember was him. He was lighting oil really super hot. And then he poured oil onto a pile of paper napkins. <laughs> lit on fire in a hotel in a hotel yeah <laughs> it lit on fire and i remember the dudes from the hotel kicking in the doors two dudes it was like like um like an action movie you know where they're kicking in the doors and they've got fire extinguishers first in, in like ghostbusters right. yeah <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and they come in and go is the fire in here because we have evacuated the hotel. Did it literally set off the fire alarm? Yeah, I was, it was in there going off. And I'm like, ah, it's just us. It's no big deal. It's just a little smoke. <laughs> I had to pay for the tablecloth, the table, and it burned a hole. Whatever. Uh, he was doing the acid, MOA, acid. The test tube Test one. tube. And right. it got way, way hot. Uh, but yeah, he burned through the tablecloth, the table, and all the way to the floor. And I had to pay... To have them shampoo the carpet and the floor. Oh my god! <laughs> and and we are no longer welcome back at that hotel. <laughs> so again, shout out Hampton and Peoria. <laughs> yeah, I had one over here at Mendot uh, where I was doing a demo at one of their. They have training classes over in St. Cloud, and I was doing a 109 demo. Never had this happen before. And as I'm doing it in the test tube with the ball bearing, the test tube broke. And when it hit the floor, it, it passed through my torch. And it, or not the floor, but the table. It caught on fire on the table. Oh. And I had to put it out. That was, that was very recent. Yeah, that, that, was, that happens. Yeah, that, that happens. I can that. tell you that that's, that's an occurrence once in a while at BGU. So <laughs> <laughs> there's been a new fire. There haven't been any fires in the new building yet. So. Well, they haven't met me. Right. <laughs> Time for some yet. training. Yeah, I could go on and on and on for hours of, of demos that have gone awry and things that have gone crazy. And over, <laughs> right. I was uh, when training my new guy out, up, up in Duluth. We walked into a shop called East End Automotive, and I had to point out to him that uh, I said one time I did training here, and they do a little bit of body shop work. So they had those body shop axe tables. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Just those little flimsy the ones that kind of fold, fold up. up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they put body parts on. We folded that out and put a, I don't know, like a 5-8 sheet of plywood on there. And that's what I was doing demos on in that shop. That collapsed halfway through the oh, demos. Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Everything got broken. Yeah, I've had lots of stuff go absolutely haywire. Welcome to BG. Welcome to BG. There's only one way to learn. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Get kicked out of some places. <laughs> well, thanks for uh, sitting down with me, man. I appreciate it. You know, like, uh, I think... What a critical part of your career, and especially like if you're if you're new, 
and you're going to go to BGU, you know. Meeting people and and kind of like developing like this this uh, a network or kind of a net of people that you can bounce ideas off of and, yeah. and, and run stuff by. And you guys could, you know, you have a hard day or a bad demo or or a good demo. You know, you can call them and kind of talk about what happened and stuff. And, uh, I mean, you are you are that guy to me. Like, there's a few of you guys, you know. Like, I got, like, four or five people that, like, I'm going to see what Steve's up to. You know, so, like, you're a, you're a natural first guest. So, man, I really appreciate you being a part of this. And, uh for for the audience out there, um, this is something I'm I'm intending to do, you know, about twice a month. So we're gonna have a lot of different guests on, you know, BG reps, distributors, uh, maybe even some customers or something like that. You know, um, I'm just gonna kind of mix it up because ultimately, like the most valuable parts of our training events, you know, like RepCon and stuff like that, I think are hearing from people who are actually out in the field facing the same kind of things that you guys face on a daily basis and just hearing what's going right for them and what's going wrong for them, you know. That's always the most valuable part of those things, at least to me. So I think that's where uh, this podcast can be a lot of value to all you guys. So, um, again, thanks, man. Appreciate you you being on. Appreciate you coming to Minnesota. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Keep the ducks flying. I'll come come again. All right. Have a good one, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.